raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I want the truth! Why don't you answer him? Hey, it's Lee and Cooper. We're back with another episode of Objection Your Fiction. Um, really excited about today's episode. We have with us Thomas Brennan. He's a partner at Vigorito, Barker, Patterson, Nichols, and Porter, LLP. His practice is primarily defending insurance companies in construction litigation, medical malpractice, general liability. Um, so we're going to be talking to Tom. Thomas, it's okay if I call you Tom, right? It certainly is, Yanley. Okay. Um, I've known I can Tom call you for Leopold. No, don't do that. No. Just okay. But you can call Cooper Coop. All right, I'll hang in with Cooper. Well, yeah, we'll do we'll do Coop, Leopold, and Tom. Um, so Tom is here to talk about a movie that I saw probably fifty times when I was a kid, but haven't seen it since. And that is the OG original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 1974. I guess it's a kid's movie, although I would not allow my kids to see this movie. Uh, starring Gene Wilder in just a fantastic performance that we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, but Tom, first off, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Love the show. And it's uh, early days here. Some really interesting topics you guys have tackled and pretty intelligently as well. Well, thanks for the for the cheap plug. Uh, so before we get into talking about some gr- gruesome injuries to little kids in a in a kids movie, um, Cooper, it's your time to shine. We're going to put two minutes on the clock. And for those of you who have not seen the original Willy Wonka, we're not going to talk about the Johnny Depp version because I don't think anybody wants to talk about Johnny Depp ever again. Um, we're going to ask you to do a two minute. Uh, Quick summary of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, starting now. You have your phone out. Do you, are you actually are you actually timing this? Yes, I always. Oh. You always waste so much time by asking whether I'm timing it. <laughs> now you have like a minute forty left. So Willy Wonka is the most famous chocolate maker in the world, and he has closed his gates because. Um, Slugworth and other competitors were trying to steal all of his various secrets. Um, so he announces a competition kind of out of the blue. He announces a competition and says that he's going to allow five people to come into the factory. And is it basically, is it, is it just to come in and see the factory and get a lifetime supply of chocolate? Is that what it is? It's just that. I don't don't know, Cooper. This is, this is your summary. You know, I I'm, I've seen this movie probably also like you fifty times, and I watched I, I watched it kind of in in fits and starts last night. I watched like half of it, so I didn't actually see the very beginning. But um, I believe it's that the kids are just told, or the world is just told, that they are getting a lifetime supply of chocolate. These five people who get golden tickets. So there's five golden tickets hidden in chocolate bars. Again, I feel stupid even explaining this because everyone in the world knows what Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is. <laughs> there's five golden tickets. Five kids end up getting them. I don't know if the rules say that they have to be under 18. It seems unlikely that five children would be the five winners, but it ends up as five children who get those five tickets. They all end up getting to tour the factory and violence and carnage ensue from there. <laughs> that was the most efficient one yet, Cooper. That was really good. You're getting better. Thanks. At this. Thanks. I, um, I, practiced, I practiced in the mirror before we got on. I just looked like it was written out this time. I think you're getting tired I, I, of like. I had, in, in, for coming to America, I actually did have some notes. This one, I just went off the cuff, and I think it's actually better. Probably, like, probably like, better to go off the cuff because coming to America, you got through like the first 14 minutes of the movie in two minutes. <laughs> I think we could have watched. The first two minutes of coming to America, it would have been faster than how quickly you got through it. All right. So, uh, Tom, we're here to talk about um, the liability that uh, Wonka and uh, his company would have based on the various injuries that befall the winners of the competition. Um, I guess we're going to talk about each one individually, but uh, 30,000 foot view what are what were some of your takeaways after watching the movie about um, you know 
the, the potential claims and defenses uh, based on the various incidents that occur throughout the film. Sure. Well, my 30,000 view is still still through the uh, the lens of a New York practitioner. And I think that's relevant because one of the issues that's kind of apparent, and I know we're going to get a little bit into the nit and grit of it, is this waiver or contract or whatever you want to call it that, that um, Willie asks everybody to sign before they commence the formality of the tour. Uh, and that's going to be something we could talk about, but New York waivers of that kind are in certain cases enforceable and in other cases unenforceable. So um, that was an obvious uh, legal issue that you that you know you're going to be left thinking about as the movie progresses. Um, yeah, so there's issues regarding well, what is it? Whether these things are even dangerous conditions. Uh, right. We could talk about that as we get through there. Um, what obligation Willie had to maybe prevent some of these kids from taking the plunge or stealing the thing and um, some issues with respect to um, what actions a reasonable person would be expected to take, which is what the standard is here in New York. Um, and then even as like maybe a little balloon deflator, these kids are, we're told ultimately are restored to their original selves. So are there any actual damages? But we could talk about that as well. A lot of emotional. I would think the the emotional stress of turning into a blueberry and then having the juice sucked out of you. There might be something there, but we'll get to that when we get to uh, to exactly. Um, Because right, because I'm just just the very brief as a background. My my current practice is on the defense side, but I handled plaintiffs' cases for several years, and so I was flipping my cap back and forth on both sides as the movie was progressing. I was taking my my little Google Doc notes. Um, So I, I yeah. I'm prepared to argue both sides, Lee. So, so maybe, right, well, we, great. maybe we start we start by kind of honing in on that waiver, and we just kind of assume let's let's pretend that this is uh, this that that the Wonka factory is based somewhere in New York, and so we're 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 acting under New York law here. Um, let's let's just start there and and talk about whether or not a waiver of this kind, and, and there's a lot of different issues based on. The fact that it's kids signing, clearly they're all under 18, the size of the print, you know, you can barely read half of it. Um, but maybe we just start kind of talking generally about, let's call this a factory, a tour, a, you know, maybe it's more like akin to like an amusement park. So, you know, let's just talk about what what a waiver like this would protect someone, protect a Walt Disney, a Six Flags, a, you know, a, a someone like Wonka. Like how much, how much blanket protection could he expect from a, from a document like this? Can we actually, I want to play the clip just so that people have context when they're listening to it. So Connor, could you just play the, uh, the clip of the contract signing? Accidents? What kind of accidents? I didn't know we had to sign anything for this tour. I can't see what it says in the bottom. Violet, you first sign here. Hold it. Let me through here, you kids. Violet, baby, don't you sign anything there. What's this all about? Standard form of contract. Don't talk to me about contracts, Wonka. I use them myself. They're strictly for suckers. Yes, but you wouldn't begrudge me a little protection. A drop. I don't sign anything without my lawyer. My drunker don't sign anything either. Then she don't go in. I'm sorry, rules of the house. Oh, wait a minute, what's all that small print there at the bottom? Oh, if you have any problems, dial information. Thank you for calling. I assume there's an accident indemnity clause. Never between friends. What about me, Grandpa? Sign away, Charlie. We got nothing to lose. Everyone signed? Yes. Good. On we go. All right, well, um, that's kind of like a law school fact pattern. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's definitely one we would have gotten in law school in New York because as Cooper touched on, um, you have kids signing this document right off the bat. We have folks who are really not, not a, a legal age to enter into any sort of binding agreement. Certainly one that w- where they wouldn't benefit from it should there be an injury or something, some claim to arise out of it. You know, I, cause you think about yourself, you, you got little kids, right? Have you ever brought any of those folks to like, um, any of those like bounce houses, not the not the inflatable ones, but the ones that like the entire floor is bounce. And you you yeah, read the waiver. I was thinking about that too when I was watching the scene. That like you just sign the waiver when you walk in so that they can play, right? Yeah, you have a kid has their their birthday there, and every parent has to sign the thing before anyone's allowed into the room. And who reads it, right? Um, and 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 nobody does. So we we get a lot of things at play here that are pretty applicable in life. 
obviously everyone's already excited to participate in the event. So Willie's trying to rush everybody through. No one's, even if they, even if he paused everything and gave everyone time, no one's going to really take the, that time of, uh, afforded to them and read through it. Normally though, you do see the parents, right? The guardians, whoever is legally in charge of the kid, the one who's the one executing those agreements, but not here. Um, so it makes me think Willie does have lawyers somewhere in the background advising him on things, but, but maybe not because, uh, you know, there are, there are clear flaws with the, the manner in which he has everybody going about executing it. The most important one being it's kids who, who really are, are, are not uh, able to enter into such agreements. What about the fact that, um, what about like the speed in which he rushes them through? So, you know, someone asks for a lawyer, I think at a certain point, right? And he kind of like brushes that aside. So, is that relevant? Is, you know, what, what do you make of that, that piece? Well, one of the things you'll maybe be reminded of from school, but it's just, is it, is a fact and the truth here in New York, you're, you are charged with having read what you signed. All right. We have the benefit of having this all on film, but that's not typically the manner in which that takes place. This is something, you know, later on you're producing a document at a deposition or at trial and there's your signature. Yeah. And what does everybody say? No matter what, what is the person who wants to enforce it says, I didn't, I, you know, I read it fully and I knew what it says. The person who doesn't want it enforced or wants some sort of loophole says, I was rushed through it or it didn't, I didn't understand it. Um, and I think the law exists that you're charged with having read what you signed to avoid that, uh, that type of, you know, the, the import of that kind of factual scenario. Um, but we do have the benefit of seeing Willie rush everybody through, but it's not going to, that kind of argument typically doesn't hold up. Now, when you start introducing the other languages, right, or the uh, illegible portions of the of the of the document, well, then maybe there's a like a, a, a you know a fact based argument that um, is less open to interpretation. Do you speak Mandarin? Do you speak German? Maybe Augustus's parents do, but you know something like that um, maybe has more of a factual argument to be made. So how let's let's just take a step back and and maybe assume that let's let's do the counterfactual and assume that the parents did sign it and the the language in there basically says which a lot of contracts like this say like you know we we are not responsible for any injuries for death for whatever happens to you once you step foot beyond this point um would you know again assuming new york law how how strong of a protection would that piece of paper uh be for for wonka here well i did treat this assignment as a little bit of homework because i can tell you quite frankly most of the cases i handle don't involve these liability waivers <clears throat> you know so there was a little bit of brushing up and going back to some of my early days um, so what you're a, saying uh, is we have, the wrong, we have the wrong guest yes, on this let's, podcast. Connor, let's, well, no, I, got, I, uh, let's, let's I recall I, I, I recall uh, being tasked as a young litigation associate. We have a client; they run this amusement park. Read this waiver, let and tell, give the feedback. Is this waiver enforceable? Right? <clears throat> and I had I, that was one of my early when I left the civil criminal law and went to civil law. That was an early project I had. And, it, and, and you learn in New York, the, the rules are, they're generally enforceable, right? These liability waivers are generally enforceable with pretty major exceptions. The major exceptions being the type of establishment that's uh, offering uh, the, these, these waivers. So one of the, when we were talking about um, kind of setting the stage here, Cooper was talking about, let's, let's analogize this to an amusement park. Well, an amusement park is a place where those kind of liability waivers are unenforceable. You can't, you can't waive your own negligence, right? Uh, so to a certain extent, they're enforceable. But if there's provable negligence on the part of the amusement park operator, even if you have somebody execute those liability waivers, they would be unenforceable in a New York court. Same thing with places that are akin to amusement parks, gyms, places. And the, and, and the, the rule is if you accept like an entry fee or you have a membership fee, um, those liability waivers don't don't apply. So then we have a real discussion. What is Willy Wonka's factory? What would you call it? Because the, just by its name, right, it's not really an amusement park. But of course, if you were to describe it to anybody, I think anyone's reasonable conclusion would be that sounds a lot like an amusement park. There's a river made of chocolate. And, you know, um, 
I, I, I take a sip of bubbles and I can float up out of the building. Like sounds a lot more fun than your, than what you conjure as a factory, but nobody seems to be paying any fee to get into this place. So there's probably a real discussion to be had. I, when I was watching it, it kind of reminded me, I was thinking about like, what is it? Um, I think the closest comp or like, I don't know if you've gone to vineyards in Napa or, or Italy where you're like, you walk around and there's like, it's part, it's partially experiential. Like in Napa, I went into like a cave and walked through the caves and certainly there's like some risk there, probably nominal risk. Um, and you're drinking wine. Sometimes you're drinking them directly from like casks. And so I it felt the closest kind of to that. Um, and obviously you don't sign waivers to go into the, to the vineyards. Um, but uh, th that was the thought that, that crossed my head. Well, we also have, you know, what's on the East Coast here. You got a lot of families taking their kids out to Hershey, right? Which is a combo of a manufacturing plant. I think you can see the Hershey kisses on some sort of assembly line, but it's primarily an amusement park because they have rides and whatnot. Um, and it, but wearing both hats, I think you could see a, an incredible argument should any of these kids sue as to whether or not this facility, this factory is more akin to the amusement park or, or something, you know, far, far, um, far simpler and not within that carved out exception. So then, then moving forward, I guess. So if we're, if we are assuming that it is some kind of amusement park, so then I guess the, the relevant inquiry then is, is deciding if, whether or not Wonka is acting negligently in, in all of these injuries, right? I think we have to go through right. each one and decide whether or not Wonka displays some degree of negligence or, and, and it's not even, you're saying it's not even gross negligence. It's just, it's just standard. If we can show any kind of negligence, it's not reckless. It's just kind of a, it's a fairly low bar, right? To show, to show negligence here. Right. Right. I think that if, if assuming we're past this threshold of whether the 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 waiver will or won't apply, then you're dealing with a simple premises case. Um, and the premises analysis is simple in terms of its elements. It's far more complicated when you start applying facts. Uh, but, you know, is this, we'll go through them each, but is it a dangerous condition? Is what caused this, in, this accident in, an inherently dangerous condition? Is it something um, that he had notice of? Uh, meaning, is it something that's caused a similar injury in the past? Um, I would presume he doesn't have a whole host of those since this is the first time he's opened up the factory in however many decades. So I don't think we've had a whole lot of kids plunging into the Chocolate River and or getting sent down a chute or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it'll become a, a, a regular run-of-the-mill premises analysis. And then we, the, the other thing we could talk about, I guess, throughout, and I guess we'll start with Augustus, but... Um, is whether he kind of intended for this to happen. It's, it almost seemed like he was laying traps for them so that they could learn lessons. Um, and I guess we could talk about that a little bit as we, as we go through it or at the end. Well, yeah, I, yeah, <clears throat> I did have, a, I had like an overarching thought there because right. Who ultimately foots the bill if you have, if you're a factory owner, an amusement park owner or some insurance carrier, well, what's a, what's a typical thing that, you know, void your insurance policy, uh, intentional acts typically avoid your insurance policy. They're going to cover you for negligent or some, some degrees of negligence. But if you go, uh, it's rare when you're going to have an insurance policy that covers, well, yeah, I actually set this, hmm. I set this spot up in my factory so that this greedy kid would fall into it and practically drown. Well, then Mr. Wonka, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're covered under our policy. We don't cover I, we don't cover psychopaths and their intentional acts. So. <laughs> That's yeah. why Wonka's trying to offload the factory to Charlie because he understands <laughs> major right. lawsuits coming down. The exactly. So give it to this penniless family, and <laughs> there's there's no pockets to to go after at that point. Totally. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. So you want to start with Augustus? Uh, just lay the groundwork there. A they walk into um, the first room of, of the factory. It's filled with candies of all types. And there's a chocolate river um, with a chocolate waterfall that churns the chocolate. Augustus Gloop, who's eating everything in sight, begins to drink directly from the river. Um, 
Willie seems less concerned with his safety than the contamination of the river runs over to try to stop him from doing it. He may or may not actually cause him to fall in. I couldn't, I didn't like freeze for him and I couldn't tell if he knocked him in unintentionally or maybe intentionally. And then really makes kind of no effort to save him, although he says it's too late because the suction has him. And he's kind of more interested in the tension of the moment than taking any steps to save him. Although he does act quickly, I guess, uh, to order the Oompa Loompas to um, find him. And uh, I don't remember where they, the, the river is leading to, but interject before he... I guess, suffers a fatality. So what, what were your thoughts about um, this scene, about um, the dangerous condition, about Wonka's efforts to, to warn and stop him? Well, <clears throat> I, I think it is important that we, we kind of address these in order because I think they're, they're part of the analysis develops as these kids see the, each one go through a particular ordeal. But when you're dealing with the very first instance, you're dealing with one of the most... Um, magical moments I think a kid could experience, right? So meaning they're walking into this room and they're, they're given no prep, they're given no warning. Uh, and they learn, um, they learn that everything within reach is edible and delicious. Um, so that's the song. I think you just, <laughs> those are the lyrics of the song. It makes sense. Cause that's, that's, those are the facts. Yeah. The, the, the song lyrics is maybe we talked pre pre pod are all very on the nose. So that's, that's, uh, so should, should Willie have known that these kids are probably not going to listen to directives from adults, probably going to go the extra mile to taste whatever is in sight, including when you, when you announce it's not dirty water. In fact, it's chocolate. I, I think it's foreseeable that, um, the kids are probably going to put themselves in some maybe precarious positions uh, that could lead to some sort of uh, injury or accident. Um, it's interesting. Like, I didn't, I didn't think about it the first time I, I, or the time I recently watched it, whether Willie even contributed to the accident, like in a very active sense by perhaps pushing uh, Mr. Gloop into the, into the river. That would probably be something strongly litigated at a, at a potential trial here. But what? But you know, a plaintiff's going to argue if you know that your kids aren't going to listen. If, if Willie's whole persona is "I'm a kid at heart," he also designed this right to have that type of reaction. It's so you're you are. What happened is what he I think pretty reasonably, arguably, uh, is what he wanted to have happen. Not the punishment portion of it, but the kids freaking out. Um, and so a kid's going to get to the edge of the edge of the water. And if you don't want them going in there, if they're not, it's not to be touched and can be contaminated. Well, you didn't tell that to the kids, whatever, eating the gumballs off the tree. Um, all of that's fair game. Why is the river not fair game? So let's get some signs up, right? Maybe let's put some fencing around uh, the area that's officially off limits. Um, there are, I think, pretty basic steps that he could have taken to prevent that from happening. Um, but, but going on the other side, defendant side here, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Are we putting up fencing around rivers and lakes that we take our kids to? You know, uh, are we preventing you know all access to 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 bodies of water because someone eventually potentially could fall in? You know, you kind of take away the magic of the space if you're putting up all these barriers to it. Um, so so I'm sure Willie was saying, right? I mean, we could also argue if we're taking it out of the amusement park realm, it's a working factory where. There's never anyone who actually comes through there. So he's the, the actual like duty to protect it is, is less so, right? Because there's never anyone there. It's only, only in this one instance where you have these five people maybe shouldn't have to have fencing and shouldn't have to have signs, but certainly Wonka should have, should have done a better job of warning. Yeah. You got to prep your witness pretty strongly there. If you're, if, if Willie's getting deposed there, you're like, uh, well, we I'd never seen something like this before, you know, and, and really, really get him ready to answer that this was more of a surprise and out of the blue than anything. Not, that's not what I wanted to have happen. That's not what I was hoping, fingers crossed, was going to happen. See, I would argue that he constructed this entire room just for this moment. Because what's, what was the utility of this room, if not for to delight kids? Like, there's no real... There's no, this, this, he's not like growing the candy there. He's just arranged the candy there in like a 
interesting way so the kids can have like a playground unless he goes in there every day and has fun, which I guess is possible. He might. I know. We don't. I guess we'll learn it with the Chalamet movie, whether he enjoyed it on his own. But he also the, the adults are, are are pretty like mesmerized, right? You could see the adults losing themselves a little bit too. So I mean, it kind of it's not even specific to to the age of of uh, the potential victim, but you got to believe the kids are far more likely to lose control. I don't I don't want to gorge ourselves too much in Augustus Gloop, but before we move on, <laughs> there we go. There we I go. It's just important. Just planning yeah. planning on that one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to just quickly touch on his response and how that factors in. Like he clearly responds indifferently, almost in an excited manner. At one point, I think he says the tension is incredible. I hope it never ends when he's stuck in the tube. So is that relevant at all to the analysis or not really? You're talking about Mr. Wonka? Look, anytime, yeah. you're, anytime you're ultimately presenting evidence to a jury, right, whether it's wholly relevant and that's something a judge can really make a which way the wind is blowing type decision. Uh, if you can get anything in front of a jury that's going to inflame them a little bit, and what would inflame a jury more if they're favoring a plaintiff than a completely indifferent, if not uh, a guy, if not maybe enjoying it a little too much, I think it would uh, would be something you know, you'd, you'd want before a jury if you're a plaintiff's counsel because if they're making an award here at the end of the day, and it's something abstract like pain and suffering, and there's no formula to it, well, what are some, thing, what are some factors that are going to inform their decision? An unfortunate reality of this system is, I don't like that guy. And if there was evidence before a jury where Willy Wonka is really relishing in the, the, the pain and suffering of a child, well, that could probably aid a plaintiff's attorney pretty strongly in an argument before, you know, when you're really asking for some dollar sum at the end of the day. But of course, it's irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you want to move on to Veruca? Sure. Or not Veruca, Violet. Um, yeah, Violet. I always confuse Violet and Veruca. Violet's the one with the gum. Veruca's the one with the golden goose. You're Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet. That's how you remember. Right. <laughs> that is yeah. Cool. And I think just even, sorry, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll let, let Cooper go. But there's a clear difference even between one and two in my mind. Um, so I guess just to tee up the, the second one, Violet, uh, is obsessed with chewing gum and Wonka kind of like tells her that he has this magic gum that has a full, I don't know, five course, three course meal. And, uh, he kind of just holds it up and she grabs it and he doesn't really try and take it back from her, but she, she eats it and immediately turns, she has like the first two meals and then she turns into blueberry because while she's having blueberry pie, is that what it is? Yeah, so she turns into a blueberry and then has to be rolled out and down into the juicer to be dejuiced. And I think he there are some like feeble attempts by him to stop her. He says, "No, don't stop," as she's about to chew the gum. Um, but um, uh, again, the thought here is that he's kind of set this up because you know someone who likes gum and he suddenly has this gum. Um, Seems a little intentional, but anyway, Tom, what are, what issues are, are raised by this encounter? I'd argue he makes a stronger effort here initially to prevent her from uh, even procuring the gum. Uh, it's in his hand, right? She snatches it out. Um, and so you're really introducing a lot of <clears throat> at least comparative negligence, um, if not like sole prox cause here on the, on the plaintiff's part. I, and I, I think comparative is is at least um, definitely in the conversation. So she, she, she snatches the gum away. Uh, and if, if you were to just read like a dry transcript of the encounter, Willie's like, don't do that. Do not eat it. It's not ready. Um, right. And it's a clear warning. Don't, don't consume it. Um, now we're also one step removed from a kid not listening and having suffered consequences. So now we're starting, I think, introducing uh, more of an argument for the defense here that uh, that this kid has already seen consequences of not listening to, to Willie and you're, you know, you're really starting to take things into your own hands. You're assuming the risk of, of putting in this unfinished experimental piece of gum in your mouth. A big difference I also see though is, let's assume Augustus didn't drown, right? This horrible, like to the point of death, <laughs> uh, but he's rescued at the, at the end of the tube and, um, 
cleaned off. All right, well, what is his injury? He suffered some some fear for a few moments. Whereas, uh, it's now I'm getting the names again. Right? Violet. But, or Violet. Violet, yeah. Um, that does seem like a more actionable uh, injury here. She does blow up to an, an enormous size, turns a completely different color. And who knows how efficient or what the process of dejuicing a human being really is. Because it could be very painful. It could be a long, arduous process. It's a thing you talk about if you have like a, a, a real a real injury in regular day life. How, how long was the surgery? How, did you have to have revision? Was there, a con, was there an infection that resulted from that procedure? Did you, like, how, what was the follow-up care like? All those things factor into the injury. So I think Violet has a demonstrably more serious injury than and Augustus. And I think that also impacts the Wonka's, I mean, Wonka's duty of care, right? Like Wonka has a duty to protect, I mean, kids from falling into a chocolate river. Maybe you assume that they can swim. I think he, so, so maybe you're not super concerned about that, right? But now all of a sudden you have this gum that he, he knows that people, you know, when people chew it, they're turning into blueberries. I think you have a, you have a, a bigger duty the minute she grabs that out of your hand. It's not just like, oh, it's going to taste really bad. It, you know, there's a, there's a serious, serious problem that's going to ensue. And he has more of a duty to like prevent people from, from taking that out of his hand. Right. Or even putting it within arm's reach. I, I, I was just saying, I think he's been desensitized because he's clearly testing these out in the Oompa Loompas and he has the entire population. They're so easily replaceable. Nobody's going to sue him. They all need his, his job. So they stay away from the the monsters back in Loompa land. So I think he's been desensitized to the impact this has on the human condition. Well, when you talk about, did he set these things up intentionally? I, I do wonder like how much info did he have on these kids before they walked in the door? And if you're of the mindset that he set this all up intentionally, well, he's got a lot of information, right? He knows that this kid likes is a glutton. This kid likes gum. This kid likes TV, whatever. Uh, but he also has to know that these are probably pretty litigious people absent Charlie Bucket's family who don't, don't have any means and, uh, you know, uh, friends in the field or somebody to, to talk to or unlimited funds to pursue a lawsuit. Willy Wonka clearly doesn't care because if he's got all that info, he's guaranteed, whether the lawsuit's successful or not, he's guaranteed litigation, guaranteed. Right. Or a big, or a big payout before big litigation. Payout. I guess the only other, we, we talked before about his reaction to Augustus falling in the river with respect to her blowing up. I have in my notes, um, instead of acting expeditiously, they break into a song and dance and roll her around for a while. <laughs> so I feel like that might not play so well in front of the jury. Um, but uh, I don't know if there's too much to be said about that. I guess we can, we can move on to the next encounter. Um, all right, really quickly, because just if we're going in, in sequential order, I guess let's talk for a second just about what happens to Charlie and Grandpa Joe in the fizzy lifting room. Um, he expressly tells them not to try it yet. Um, they, he, they leave the room without making sure that everybody's kind of with them. And then they try it and they, they nearly die um, as a result. Um, so what was your... I mean, like there's 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 no damages there, and like you said, I don't think the buckets are going to be overly litigious, and now they're going to have a vested interest in the future of the company because they're going to be the new owners. But um, you know, suppose something did happen, somebody got hurt. Uh, how do you assess that particular incident? Do we have do we have other incidents of Charlie kind of uh, rather uh, Mr. Wonka turning a blind eye to his his tour? Because I don't think we do. Um, I. I yeah, so that that episode is pretty problematic. Um, it, why is it problematic? Because he definitely, um, arguably, lost sight of those folks for the sole purpose of having them disobey his directive, right? So he's going to say, "I warned, I warned, I warned," uh, and the verbal warning, I would argue, uh, under those circumstances, is clearly not enough. Why? Well, we've got two instances already, right? So we, well, people not listening to your so-called warnings. Uh, you take the, the step further of leaving them alone in the space where what do you expect them to do? If we already have examples of folks not listening particularly clearly and you leave them to their own devices, what are they likely to do? They're going to sample it. Um, and so, I, yeah, that's, that's, how I, uh, that's how I view that seemingly innocuous moment, right? Because we think that that probably is what undoes their, their chances at the lifetime supply of chocolate. But what are the consequences there? They, you know, they pass their gas and, and 
arrive safely on uh, solid ground. Uh, so it's like a no harm, no foul. Where Wonka has a cause of action against them for, doesn't he say at the end that he has to like fully replace the whole room or sterilize the whole room again because, right. they, because they did, uh, because they, I don't know, they touched the fans or something. So maybe he brings an action against them for, for uh, I don't know, breaking the rules. Yeah, and that would be yeah. one I think just brought out of pure spite since somebody has got the dough and, and there's <laughs> somebody doesn't. So, uh, and as an aside, I would have I would have perished during that incident because I do not know how to burp. <laughs> you never like you never developed that skill as as young Leopold. No, no, I just don't know how to. <laughs> so I would have I would have gone right through the fan. So um, let's move on to uh, Veruca Cooper. You want to talk about? Uh, what happens there? I have to actually run for one second another, to grab another, my charger. Another bathroom break for Lee. Second I'll grab my second charger. The podcast. <laughs> um, Veruca, Veruca Salt is the rich, spoiled girl, and he's making golden golden eggs. Is that what it is? Right. They well, right. They lay golden chocolate eggs. Golden chocolate eggs. These, and she wants she off screen geese. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She wants one and she wants everything that she can't have. And she runs into the machine that he has. And I, I, I honestly, this was a part that I was watching very quickly, but it, it basically just says like good, it's like a good egg or a bad egg. Right. And then she, she jumps on the machine and then falls through the contraption into, I don't know, the incinerator or something where, where the, the bad eggs go. Right. It's like a magical form of quality control that this, this, scale can determine if it's a good or a bad egg and it's a pun yeah. on whether she's a good egg or a bad egg right yeah and unsurprising to the audience she's not a good egg <laughs> neither is her dad by the way <clears throat> he gets sent down the chute as well but if you he created he helped create that monster yeah <laughs> it's a it's a great it's a great song it honestly is like i thought that scene is so good the actress is great um, it's just a really funny, like riveting scene, but, um, what do you make as far as her, uh, as her, far as her, I mean, I, I guess she, best case, she just goes for a ride. Right. Um, and right, some Cooper pointed out, yeah, but there, but there are certain days of the week where an incinerator is running, uh, and right, well, he's done best case it's, it's either really really bad or right yeah right it could be one of those inner tube uh, water slides that you don't really know where you're going but it's a it's a fun ride on the way uh yeah yeah the, the damages there are questionable but pretty easily to pretty easy to identify if she is burnt to a crisp so um and that would be one <clears throat> where i think you, you've talked about uh Willie's nonchalance about uh, the consequence or the potential consequences to the kid. That one really struck me is that man should probably be a little bit more concerned about what may or may not occur to that child. That's the one that really sticks out where um, he needs to be a little quicker, uh, have a, have a more serious attitude about what may or may not happen to him. But of course, if you're of the mindset that he knows all of this and this is fully, fully planned out, then he really knows that there's no true danger to her. But like, what is? We could talk a little bit about what is the dangerous condition here, and what is that dangerous condition? It's not a, it's not a, um, a river of chocolate or <clears throat> um, something that's going to turn you purple. This, this, she's she's acting out because she wants. Does she want the egg? I think she actually wants the goose or the duck or whatever's laying this thing. She wants um, the whole world. Did you listen to the song? She wants <laughs> today. She wants tomorrow. She wants to ball it up and put it in her pocket. It's her ball of chocolate. Give it to her now. So she really wants everything at that point. She wants it all. Do you? But yeah. is it foreseeable that she's going to jump up onto the scale? Is my question. Is that foreseeable? I don't think. So. I, I don't think so. I mean, Cooper, what do you think? I, I I think that this is one of the most like this is the best defense case of the lot. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Yeah. What's What's the What's the best case if you if if all of these kids maybe we're maybe we should do Mike TV first but if all of these kids came into your office which which case would you be most excited or see the biggest <laughs> upside <laughs> sorry that's the wrong way of phrasing it if all of these kids and their families knocked on your door 
which case would you be most likely to pursue or feel the most comfortable pursuing? Assuming they all survive. Let's assume they all are alive, which Willie is pretty sure of by, by the end of the movie that they are all okay. So, Right. That's, that's how it remains a quote-unquote kids movie because, God forbid, you have to tell your child at the end of it, yeah, they're, half of them are dead or <laughs> permanently disfigured. <clears throat> you just want to have this wipe away. No, they're probably all okay. Well, I think my TV, I know we didn't quite cover it, but I, I mean, I don't know, put yourself in the perspective of somebody who's shrunk down from a full-size person, even though he's got some growing to do. Um, and you're, you're dealing in the abstract with certain types of damages, but like, what is the psychological consequence of being shrunken down? Now, Mike seems to enjoy the heck out of it, but as with all kids, they're not really thinking long-term. They're thinking about how fun it is in this exact second right now. And I imagine Mike probably comes around to the, the belief that this isn't really the greatest life to be led as a shrunken down miniature, like toy sized person. Uh, but I'd, I'd say, but touching back to some of the argument I was making earlier, if, if that deducing process is long and arduous, painful and re repetitive, um, that sounds like there's some, some real damages to, to put for, put before a jury there. The, the yeah. Augustus and Veruca really, if they're okay, there's not much to do other than clean them up. Whereas Violet and Mike have to be like, there needs to be treatment to get them back to normal no matter what. Even if they're okay, there are steps that need to be taken to, to return them to their pre-existing condition. The, the Mike TV character, I feel like, is like the one that's most uh, like dated by the fact i feel like now it would be like a you know a phone addiction or something something completely different than trying being obsessed with being on tv i feel like no kid is like obsessed with being on tv it's like doesn't even doesn't even mean anything anymore It'd i think they do want to be personalities though yeah they want so it wouldn't be tv right but they want to be a youtube personality mm -hmm. or or a tiktok personality that's a good point do you see? Do you see little kids walking around in Western cowboy outfits with uh, six shooter fake guns anymore either? Like that's that's a, a dated reference to the 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 biggest the 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 thing that's the most the most difficult to understand in this whole movie though is how the how Wonka's assistant manages to be in all of the places where the kids find the golden tickets. That's the that's the part of the movie that I didn't understand. I think what's going on here is this is all pre-setup. My, my, and I, I feel like this was, I read the book when I was young too, and I didn't go back and read the book again in preparation for this uh, podcast. But a recollection from the book is that it's all pre-arranged. He selected Charlie in advance and he is hoping that Charlie will then, um, reaffirm his decision that he's the right person to lead the factory and the rest are i don't even know the purpose of the others because he knows that they're going to fail and and potentially die but i guess it's to put charlie in context i don't know anyway it seems like he knows who's going to get it in advance and that's why his person is there ready for that person to get it or they're just tracking the chocolate right like they know which they know I which guess, box. I guess that's, that's possible as opposed to just planting them. And then, then I feel like he'd be opening up a whole nother can of worms in terms of liability. If, if the whole contest that the whole world is like obsessed with and buying thousands of chocolate bars, if it turns out it's just a total, total sham contest. And I feel like well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fraud case. That's outside of Tom's purview. Now we're talking. Yeah, about but I, that. I did see that Netflix documentary on uh, the McDonald's um, monopoly game. I saw and that, that was a whole setup, the riv riveting stuff. But I, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a, uh, a wealth of experience to, to address it if it was all an intentional setup here. All right. Well, I feel like I feel like that's the those are the main the main arguments um, or the main the main issues. And is there anything else that we're that we're forgetting before we move on to the final the final segment? I guess maybe there's there's potentially a, a corporate liability versus Wonka on an individual basis. Maybe there's that question to, to ask whether whether he would he would uh, whether there'd be any claims against him personally or whether he's it's only in only the corporation that they're bringing the claims against. 
Yeah, I think a savvy plaintiff's attorney would would individually name him um, based on some of the contextual evidence here. Uh, if you have like, if you did a good job in gathering your evidence, getting statements from witnesses, speaking to everybody who went on the entire tour, there's a lot of evidence that points to the idea that he was Machiavellian here and set this whole thing up with intent. Uh, and then, therefore, you'd have to really sink your eggs into the personal liability portion for Willie. I wonder how much cash he's got. Um, although all those chocolate sales that in the in the fury to to, to locate the, the golden ticket probably did pump a lot of money into the business. Stop to that point, yeah. like stock prices, stock way up. price way up. Yeah, but like how much did put into the factory? Because it's crazy. That thing has to be expensive to build. I'm going to posit an alternative understanding of the ending of the movie, and it it harkens back a little bit to what, to what I joked about at the beginning. So I think what happens over the course of the movie is Willie has a great poker face, but he's, he's done this. He's made a ton of money off of it. He's realizing over the course of the tour that these kids are getting potentially very badly hurt. He's lying to Charlie in order to induce him to take on the burden of this company, which is now going to get hit with lawsuits. So, and, and, he's, and at the end, he's legitimately stressed about it in his office. And then he realizes that he just offloaded to these poor suckers, and uh, they're not going to take. They're not going to get higher lawyers to deal with the liabilities they're taking on. They'll just accept it. He'll withdraw his five million dollars or ten million dollars that he made from the competition. He'll walk off into the sunset, and that's really what's going on here. We need the we need the sequel. There is, I actually, there is there is a sequel to this, isn't there? Isn't there like that's, what, that's, the last... that's what the sequel is about? That's the sequel is about exactly what I just. No, what I said. There is a sequel. Isn't there? Procedural. Glass, the glass elevator, elevator, glass. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the glass elevator. Yeah, it's. Did you read a lot of Roald Dahl once upon a yeah. time? Yeah, yeah, a time. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that plot doesn't stick too much in my head, but it's completely absurd. I think they go to outer space and 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 like are traveling. And you know, and, and encountering other species, it's something totally nuts. And sad to to burst your bubble there, Lee. Not the plot that you just laid out for us. It's not Willie on a on a private island somewhere. <laughs> I'm excited for the Willy Wonka and the Fraudulent Conveyance. That's not the name of the sequel. <laughs> I think that I think you should, word- you should author it. <clears throat> I'm definitely going to watch it. Well. Um, Look, I, we, we like to kind of end by talking about, um, one, just what you thought about the movie, and two, um, the, the, the legal aspects, how realistic it was. I guess it's hard to talk about that because there's not a lot of legal machinations, although there, there is the contract. So, you know, what do you think of the movie, Tom? Would you, when's the last time you had seen it? How was it revisiting it? And what do you think of at least some of the legal issues that it addresses? Well, in the movie itself, I was happy to revisit it. Um, it hadn't been too long. I've got a couple kids, 12 and 9. Um, I think, Lee, you, you mentioned about maybe not showing it to your kids. I'm a little reckless with what I show my kids. So I, I think they, they saw this pretty young. Um, I do a lot of like uh, audio commentary and try to contextualize some things, but they loved it. I loved it from when I was little. It's still a great movie to this day. It's obviously a big part of it is Gene Wilder and his his performance. I mean, it's, it's so why, good. yeah, it's why people are upset about it ever being revisited because it's hard to top like that, that mischievousness and childlike wonder and all the things he managed and, and also some scariness because <laughs> Willie's pretty frightening at moments in that film too. Uh, but you never really think when, when it's all said and done that he's a real bad actor, uh, even if he's a little heavy handed with his lesson uh, doling. Um, I don't think it's like a movie. I was really happy to explore it in this context for the, with this assignment of like exploring with a with an attorney's eye. And you can't say that they didn't contemplate it at all because that contract's a big part of the like. It's an exciting event that has to be on people's mind, at least adults' mind, as you go go through it. Uh, but it's not a particularly realistic portrayal of any of that stuff. <laughs> and how could it be? It's crazy. Cooper, what, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this movie is such a classic. I, I loved watching it. I've, I've definitely seen it uh, a number of times. Saw it a number of times as a kid. I don't know when the last time I saw it was, but it all it all was very familiar. So I've definitely seen it many times. Um, 
Yeah, I thought I, I think I was the one who threw it out there as a as an option, and it was just sort of like thinking about like injuries and and damages, and from that lens, and the contract scene. I had no memory of the contract scene even being in the film. And when we, when we went back and watched it or when I went back and watched it, I, I, I was like pleasantly surprised uh, that that was there. Cause I was like, Oh, this brings up so much is- so many issues. And um, it's kind of contemplating like the whole conversation that we were, we were about to have. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the most interesting part of this whole conversation is like what that contract means and does and says and how that impacts all of the analysis. So I think it's, I think it's a fun, it's a fun movie to sort of, think about through this lens and um yeah it was it was it was it's a pleasure watching it and like i keep saying i'm i'm actually now excited for the i don't think i would have cared that much about the timothy chalamet uh origin story but now i'm i'm actually now that this is so fresh in my mind i think it it would actually be fun to explore it through the lens of um yeah just to to re-explore this world and and see where they go with it yeah i thought it was it was great um it, it was much better than i remembered it being funnier, really sharp, just, just a, a really fun time. Um, I actually thought like the contract scene to me was also pleasantly surprising because I felt like it mirrored so many fact patterns that we actually see, you know, we're, we're more commercial litigators, uh, a lot of real estate litigation. You often see like a contract presented kind of rushing through it. People are anxious to like do a deal. Right. Or like, and they kind of rush through the contract. And then when something bad happens later, they say, oh, well, I didn't have time to get an attorney. I didn't have, uh, I couldn't, I didn't read the whole thing. Some of it was unintelligible. It was unconscionable. So I think it actually did raise a number of like really realistic legal issues in that 45 second funny scene that we listened to at the beginning. And I really do think that it, that, you know, I'm sure it's already been done, but it's the perfect contracts, law school fact pattern, um, that 45 second scene. So in any event, Tom, maybe we'll have you back to do the prequel. Um, (laughs) How many kids get hurt in that one? And, um, but we appreciate your time and this is great. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Um, Really enjoyed my time as well. This was fun. All right, great. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, Knowlton, and Polina on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.